Hello and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast. Today we're joined by Paul Flood of Newton Investment Management and we're going to talk about multi-asset funds and multi-asset strategies. We're also joined by two IFAs in the form of Martin Fahi and Nick McBreen. So to get us started, I'm going to start with the advisor angle on this. We're looking at multi-asset funds. What clients are you currently using them for? So, so, so Nick, where are you finding multi-assets to be useful at this moment in time? It's not the, it's not the answer. It's not a one-stop solution, and I don't think it's the, <coughs> it's the holy grail. I think there's a lot of hype talked about it. As I understand it, 75% of inflows in 2017 went into multi-assets in the collective space. <coughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's rolling. I am uh, enthusiastic. I think it has a, a role to play in a portfolio. But we have to be, I think I have to be very careful that I'm not thinking that just looking at multi-asset means it's going to do all things for all people. Because yeah. it doesn't. If you, and if you know what the fund is and you're looking under the bonnet, mm. that's, where you should, that's where I like to go. So I use it, but use it advisedly uh, so that y you know what you're doing. I don't have a particular, you know, this client category fits that and, and this client category doesn't fit that because I think it is very wide ranging. Yeah, so you, you don't even see any trends in that space. There isn't a particular profile of client that you find particularly ends up in a multi-asset? Not for me, no. Okay. Um, no. And, and Martin, is that the same for you? Um, well, whereas um, our clients are usually high net worth and um, the, or, or the wanting to invest through pension portfolios. So um, we feel that it offers a more diverse approach. Um, that's, that's what we like about them, really. Mm. Yeah. So, of course, Martin joins us from Informed Financial Planning uh, near Hull and Nick McBreen from Worldwide Financial Planning near Truro. Uh, Nick, do you, do you think you have a similar client profile to, to Martin? I, I think this high net worth thing is a very interesting one. and We'd have a conversation offline about that, what that actually means. But at Martin's point about offering diversification, of course, that's got to be one of the, one of the key reasons why, why I would use that and why any IFA today, advisory IFA, would use that with clients because you are getting risk management through the diversification. Whether it's a, a high net worth client with that large size portfolio in a pension or, or outside of that, or maybe the more modest investor who wants to still get the spread and the risk management and the diversification. So, yeah, I, um, it, I think that's a key point you picked up there. Brilliant. And of course, we're joined by Paul, who's a real expert in this area. Are you surprised to hear any of this, Paul? No, not at all. Um, I think uh, you know, our role on, on the fund management side is to provide solutions um, uh, on the multi-asset side that meet some of those, those clients' requirements. And sometimes people need income, sometimes, sometimes they don't. Um, it's, you know, it's really up to the advisors and the risk profiles of their clients whether something is suitable for them or not. And it's our job to take the feedback we get from the advisory space and other parts of, of the pensions markets um, and try and come up with uh, portfolios that meet those, those requirements that they're looking for. I think the great thing about multi-asset though, um, and I would say you, know, you should think about, as, as you say, when, when you're buying a multi-asset fund, can you look under the hood? Is it simple and easy to explain when something goes wrong so you know exactly what has caused poor performance, what has caused good performance, and is it meeting the end client requirements? And the multi-asset to us is as much about what you don't own as what you do own. Yeah. The flexibility of multi-asset 
means that if you don't like something, you know, just don't own it in your client's portfolio. Yeah, and flexibility actually is a good word, and versatility is something I would bring in. Is that deliberate on your side? Is it deliberate when you put these funds together that they can be used for multiple clients in multiple scenarios? Yes, certainly. I mean, so the, our kind of idea is that some people want it to be the whole solution for their clients, some people want it to be a core part of their solution, and then they can decide if there's a higher risk client, they can add some more emerging market equities. If there's a lower risk client, they can add another bond fund alongside it. Um, but for us, certainly when we, we create these uh, products, and if you look at the, the, the most recently launched multi-asset income fund, which is just coming up for its three-year track record, it sits in the flexible sector as a risk profile that has something to do with more like the IA 2060 sector. But of course, because of we want the flexibility, um, we sit in the flexible sector. If it was in the 20 to 60 sector, we'd be forced to own at least 30% in bonds and at the po uh, current point in time. We don't think that's an attractive risk reward for clients. Mm. Okay, well, the next thing to move on to here, of course, is for the advisor. And I'll start with you, Martin. I mean, you're a financial planning manager, effectively. So what is it from your role and from your perspective that you're looking for from a multi-asset? What, what do you want it to deliver for you? Well, um, essentially, uh, <clears throat> what we like to do is, is as just has been perfectly explained, um, leaving it to the third party uh, to view the market and assess the asset allocation of, uh, of each portfolio, really, and uh, keep that in line with our agreed service standard and uh, the client's objectives and, and attitude to risk, really. That's, yeah. That's what we're after. And, and for you, Nick, is it much the same? Yeah, I think so. And I think something I didn't add earlier, which I should have put into this, was I think multi-asset and the, the drive and increase of availability that providers are doing now provides for IFAs a, a really useful tool in the toolbox. And what, what I mean by that is if you can look underneath the bonnet of the fund, it's really interesting to see how many different asset classes and sectors a good multi-asset fund is including. And it's able to include things like alternatives, infrastructure, and open and closed end funds. So if you are, you know, your, your proposition to that client is I'm gonna give you a complete whole of market exposure here, depending on what, what, what you're trying to do with their risk profile, but I can use all these other levers like investment trusts and these, I'm not doing it. I'm leaving it up to people like Paul to do that yeah. in, within the wrapper of, of that multi-asset um, structure. And I think that's something that people don't major on. And I think it's very important. And clients need to be aware that we are using the tools that are available to us. And also, that's what we pay an active manager to do. Yeah. It, to, to be doing that work under the under the bonnet. Of course, and there's a degree of complexity there. And actually, from, from my role, so for my role in New Model Advisor, I travel across the UK speaking to financial advisors and financial planning firms about what they do. And one thing I see increasingly as an important part of any leading firm's business is client education and helping the client to understand what's going on with their money. Um, so, so, Paul, I'm going to go back to you here because you're delivering a, a nuanced and intricate solution in many ways. So how do you make that make sense to the advisor and, and what kind of information do you pass on that helps them to explain to their client what they're invested in? Yeah, well, I mean, I take that point uh, completely. I mean, our view of multi-asset is it's evolved from the traditional 60% equities, 40% uh, bonds um, to a much more diverse range of asset classes. And actually, 
a number of those asset classes have the exact characteristics that we're looking to, to provide either to deliver an attractive total return um, or sustainable stable income uh, over time. Our job is to try and you know, find, uh, essentially, think about what are the returns in individual securities or asset classes and what is the risk around those returns and then compare that risk reward um, across all of the asset classes. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And so when we're investing in some of these asset classes, such as infrastructure and renewables, um, we make our, uh, our views in that known to the advisors and give them material to help them understand what it is that we like about this asset class, what are the characteristics. So when we talk about renewables, you know, the low sensitivity to the economic cycle, um, and why we think that's a better risk reward perhaps than investing in uh, government bonds or high yield bonds mm. uh, or even the equity market. Yeah, and what is it you think the advisors engage with more? Because you've obviously got the underlying holdings that people can look at and analyse, but then also an investment philosophy. What, what do you think strikes a chord more with the advisor? I think for us it's about the investment philosophy. What is it that this fund is trying to achieve and what mm. problem is it trying to solve? Um, for their clients. Yeah. So, so for us on the multi-asset income fund, um, it's all about sustainable income, being able to provide the clients um, with an income that comes year in, year out. And we, when we talk about uh, income, it's not about a high income, it's about a sustainable uh, and stable income, pence per share, mm. pounds in pockets for clients. We think clients care more about volatility of income mm. than they necessarily do about volatility of capital. If we can provide the advisors with the confidence that that income will continue to come year in, year out, um, then they can have the confidence when the clients are worried about markets being volatile and worried about the valuation of their portfolio, that they can sit down and say, look, it's doing what it says in the tenants. Mm. The income continues to come and that's why we've bought this. Um, and if you can have that and the confidence around that income that meets their disposable income requirements, then they can have a longer term investment horizon and therefore uh, provide much better wealth creation mm. over the longer term. As an ex you know, if you had bought the S&P 500 at the peak before the financial crisis uh, and held it all the way through the financial crisis to today, you would have made more than 100% total return. It's about time in the market rather than timing the market. And what we're trying to provide is a philosophy that helps their advisors and their clients achieve that and avoid the behavioral biases that we all have uh, selling at the bottom of those periods in 2008 and 2009, which destroys the wealth creation that those clients could have over the longer term. Yeah, and I, I certainly think from the conversations I've had, that message would resonate with a lot of the IFA community. Um, and Martin, just to add to that, I mean, what kind of philosophy are you listening to? What can a, a fund manager say on a, from a multi-asset that would resonate with you? Well, <clears throat> I think pretty much, again, what we've just heard, really, because um, it's... It, it's about us helping our clients understand the different criteria um, used by portfolio managers and, uh, and how it affects the running of the individual portfolios when the holdings are moved in and out of cash. So to get the clients to understand that is, it, it is something that is a big part of what we do. And again, it's education, you know, it, education, financial education as a whole with, uh, with, with clients is something that that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much looking to, to, to focus on, really. So. Okay, fantastic. And looking back at the multi-assets as an investment, I mean, we've talked about alternative and other things. We'll, we, will, we will focus on that a bit more as we go on. But, Paul, how much variety is delivered within multi-assets? Uh, 
you know, what, what kind of different asset classes can people expect to find? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, it ranges across, obviously, from the traditional equities, government bonds, uh, high yield investment grade, emerging market bonds, um, going into the alternative space, infrastructure, renewables. Some people are investing in catastrophe bonds. Um, for us, we don't, you know, the, the current point in time, we don't think we're getting paid for the, the, the risk that's inherent within that asset class. We don't own it. Um, but you can also go on to the more higher risk parts of the market, such as the CLO space, um, property, aviation finance, there's a, a whole a wide array of, of asset classes that are available to people. Mm. And I think what people really miss in the multi-asset space is, uh, while some people invest in this space, the allocations are actually relatively low to some of these other asset classes in the alternative space. Mm. Um, and given the risk reward that's on offer, we believe that there should be much higher allocations given you know, we are living financial repression. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a world where the returns, uh, both the income, but also the returns in bond market is, is the lowest it's ever been. And then what is it that, that bonds were meant to do in a multi-asset portfolio? Well, you like them for diversification and you, you like them from income. Um, and I would argue that in today's world, um, they provide neither of those. Mm. You see, we're going to focus on risk a bit more moving forward with this conversation. And uh, I originally was going to ask if you, you know, Martin or, or Nick, have experienced more demand from clients at either end of the risk spectrum for multi-assets. But from what I'm hearing, it seems to me that the versatility of the funds is the important thing. So would I be right in saying that you kind of experience equal demand from all areas of the risk spectrum? Would that be correct? I think that's right, and I, <clears throat> and I think it's very, actually very dangerous from an IFA perspective if you respond <laughs> you know, that dramatically to, to a client <clears throat> setting out a, a change in agenda, if you like, from when you, when you originally started with mm. their portfolio. And the fact that I, I don't get that mm. uh, suggests to me that, if you like, the client got the message at, at outset yes. that if, if you're going to use something like the multi-asset route, you are, you are enabling them to access a very wide range of risk management skill and investment skill within that within that wrapper, within that fund. And therefore, that's what they're, you know, we come back to this world of charges where everybody's obsessed with charges. But if you pay a really good active manager to run that fund, then you, you should have the, well, I should have the confidence that they're actually going to be on a daily basis really managing, you know, a high active share, really busy with that. And been saying to the clients, well, okay, <clears throat> going through some really tricky times, which we've had, um, but these, these people are managing to uh, deal with the correlation, have things that are uncorrelated assets within that, and they're managing to weather the storm. And when things go well, they're able to pick up well and, and, and generate returns for you. I, I remember years ago, it's just a true story, it's funny we're doing this today, Someone phoned me, not from your publication. <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone, clear, someone, yes. phoned me. No, someone phoned me and, and said, this was going back a while, and said, Nick, what do you think about all this multi-asset stuff? No, seriously, this was when it was you know, really getting momentum. And I said, well, that's what you've always been doing in the sense of you know, if you're going to create a portfolio of a client, you are, aren't you using multi-assets yeah. and the ones that are available. And, it, and he wanted a different answer, obviously, than the one I gave him. But um, it was right at then. I said, well, yeah, that's part, that's what creating a portfolio was about. Mm. So it's interesting how now, as I said, someone t flagged to me that 75% of inflows last year were going to multi-assets. So, gosh, people 
are taking this on board absolutely um, big time so the difference now is it purely that it's kind of packaged up in, in a sense and made easier to understand for the advisor which could you well say? be could well be that yes but i think people the providers are particularly getting on the much more on the front foot about it. We have got far more tools in the, I know I use that expression, but I think it's, a, for me, it's a useful one. Far more tools in the box now mm. to help those clients. And multi-asset is, 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 a, is a good route to do that. Okay, and, and moving on from that again, and still on the topic of risk, actually. So, I mean, Paul, you touched upon earlier that clients perhaps aren't getting the returns that they might have been used to historically, at least from the last 20 years or so. Um, so how do you, you know, how do you manage volatility while still aiming to meet client return objectives? Is there anything you do within the multi-asset that maybe delivers returns without adding excess volatility to what you do? Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about multi-asset is you've got the entire world, you know, you're global uh, and you can use every asset class. Um, now, there are always periods of time when certain asset classes do really well um, and other class asset classes do less well in our role as, as fund managers. Um, is to reallocate that capital over time from one asset class to another or one company to another within the equity portfolio um, to, to readdress the risk reward that's the, that balances the overall portfolio. Um, and so, you know, when we look at the bond market today, driven by financial repression, uh, the low returns that are on offer there, and actually it's, it's now quite volatile, yeah. um, we can find other places and alternatives. So when we launched the multi-asset income fund three years ago, we had 25% in the bond market. Today, we've got 15% in the bond market, and the duration is much lower. Yeah. We had 20% or 18% in alternatives. Today, we've got 30% in alternatives. Um, and that's why we set this fund in the flexible sector, to ensure that we have that full flexibility to pull the right levers at the right time, reallocate the capital, as you say, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and the post-Brexit period was a great example of, of using that flexibility. When we've seen that big rally in bond markets, large rally in the infrastructure, UK PFI infrastructure assets. And when we used that to reallocate out of bond markets, out of the infrastructure space, put it into renewable energy assets, emerging market equities, more inflation-oriented assets, hold on to our returns that were made in the first half of the year, um, and then reallocating that capital to drive returns into the back half of 2016. Mm. I think that we've used the word alternative several times, and yes. I think that's one challenge for clients to understand. When, you, when, when I start to talk about that there are alternative investments within here, you know, alternatives can, carry a, can cover a wide mul mm -hmm. multitude of sins, and I think it's important that we drill down in that and say actually what these you know what the alternatives are i were just saying it's slightly yeah. out of the mainstream but it's different specific as you've just uh, outlined there rather than alternative which could sound a bit a bit flaky for, yeah, for clients you know. a lot of things couldn't yeah, it? Yeah. 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 Well, we're very clear about that yeah. at newton when we talk about alternatives it's different to what the market calls yeah. alternatives yeah. it's not risk premium risk parity strategy some complex derivative a strategy that's trying to extract premium from the markets. It's real assets, critical infrastructure that's required uh, to ensure the economy continues to turn. Things like renewables, infrastructure assets, aviation uh, assets. You know, if you look back over the last 40 years, there's only been three, uh, sorry, two times um, when aviation passenger growth has been negative. That was after the Twin Towers um, and just post the financial crisis. The fallen air, air passenger tra uh, traffic was two to three percent. So it's a very robust 
asset class, and we continue to see growth in emerging markets in the middle class that increases demand uh, for air travel. Um, and we continue to think that's a very robust space yeah. to be invested in. So yeah, well, this one, I guess I keep hearing from people that, uh, you know, there's a, clients are not happy with the general level of expected returns. Anyway, if you look at the cash flow analysis that they've got, they're looking at that and thinking, well, I, I think I could do another one or two percent on top of that, which is difficult because obviously there's the extra risk to take on. So are you finding that that is creating a bit of a problem for you? Are you finding that that is something you need to be aware of and something that you would then therefore have to look deeper at a multi-asset fund, say, and, and, and you know, see where the extra growth is going to come from? Yeah, yeah. Because um, um, tempering a client's expectation um, is difficult. Um, if they have differing portfolios managed by different providers where they see one producing high, high returns than the other, um, they are, of course, free to, uh, well, well, they've got the option um, to, to choose an alternative risk profile and suggested by our independent risk assessment tool. But, but again, I think it probably comes back to the uh, um, education element, really, with, with, with clients that um, if, if you can focus on that and then keep the clients informed yeah. and, and hopefully uh, we, we, we can do the best job for them. Really. And, and does fund provider literature you know, help in that regard? And what kind of information in particular are you looking for to pass on to clients? I think the conversation that you have, and no disrespect to fund providers at all, but, but the material that comes out, uh, whatever's made available, that is available to give to clients rather than what's available to, for our information, is different. I mean, we know that and we, we, we work within that. But it's, Ian, it's the conversation about, um, and, and this point about re returns being in inverted commas, disappointing. Yeah. I think with people, you've got to have that conversation, but keep having it, that we are in a world now of volatility is here to stay. It's going to change. It's going to go up and it's going to go down because that is the world we live in. And so this uh, the drive to for, not force, nudge people, you know, the nudge idea, yeah. <coughs> nudging people away from that risk profile that they had before, which produced that level of income or growth, to say, well, um, no, I, I want more. I want more. I want more. It's a bit like this fear of missing out thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. I'm missing out here. No, you're not. You actually, that's where we started. That's what you're comfortable with. If we have to have another conversation, and I have this conversation with people, if you're telling me that that <coughs> income level is not sufficient right now, then we have to have that further conversation yeah. about risk. But you can't just, you, well, I don't think clients should be dancing from one risk profile to another yeah. just because they want to squeeze more out of the sausage machine at the end because what they're taking on board are new levels of risk that they need to be fully aware of. And I think that's, sure, Ian, that's our job as advisors and IFAs. And you mentioned the conversation, which has to be such an important part of it as well. Right. So obviously the literature and whatever else helps, but it's, it's supported it's how stuff. you build on from yeah. that. And do you think it's about really getting back to the clients? What is it that they are trying to achieve? Um, and going back through you know, the, the conversations you've had with them in the past about what they wanted to achieve, uh, and they've actually you know, had that. It's not about, you know, uh, the guy next door is what he's achieved. It's about what they have wanted to achieve, and you've achieved that. And now you need to think about what is it you're now going forward. Want or, to achieve. or yeah, or, or or they haven't achieved it because 
of, of, of circumstances outside of our control or outside of the control of the active manager and where, where global events and things have happened. And that's what I think in terms of they, they have to understand and take on board the macro as well as the micro and things, things happen. It's not all sweet, you know, it's not all just let's invest in the market and everything will be sweet because it's not and it never has been. And my view is why, why, why is that going to change? Yeah. Rather yeah. than, and, and they've been driven away driven away from cash, because cash is a joke and you almost can have to be pay banks to hold the cash, you know, well, that's where we're getting to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people have been forced away looking for income, cautious, defensive people, and saying, someone has said, oh no, what you need to be investing, as you say, the, the person that's, sorry, or the person next door, well no, you don't want to be doing that, you want to be investing in this. And that's when disaster strikes, because of course then they're into the DIY, I can do it all myself thing. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's any evidence to suggest that that works. Well, absolutely. And I think every other podcast will be discussing Bitcoin and cryptocurrency around that this week. I'm going to steer clear of that in the interest yeah. of time. Yeah, but, go for it. Time, but, and also in the interest of time, go back to alternatives as well, because we were discussing those earlier. And, and, and Paul, I, you know, why why alternatives within a multi-asset rather rather than something else? Uh, well, well, again, it's why anything in a portfolio, really. I mean, we uh, we hear a lot about alternatives in the marketplace, but. At Newton, we've been investing in alternatives for 15 years, so it's not something that's new to us. But we only invest in things if they look attractive relative to other things that we can invest in. So at some point through the cycle, we won't own any alternatives. Mm. Um, but to us, it really comes back to that financial repression idea um, where you know, you've got huge swathes of the bond markets now negative yielding. Um, we've got gilts at 1.2% per annum for 10 years. That's like 1% per annum for 10 years. 10% cumulative return, our role in financial markets is to increase the real wealth of our clients. So when we look at some of the opportunities that are in the alternatives markets, we can find far better uh, returns, far stable, more stable income, a more attractive income, that has low sensitivity to the economic cycle, which is what bonds are meant to do in a portfolio. And so we find there's some great opportunities to replace parts of a bond portfolio with some of these uh, less cyclical assets and, and stable income generators. As you were saying, 30% you've got an alternative right now, so that's a really core part of your strategy at present. Um, and actually, looking at that, obviously this is going to evolve, and as you were mentioning there, it's about keeping an eye on what's going on in the markets and, and staying on top of that. Are there any alternatives you're maybe not presently invested in that you're keeping an eye on and maybe have marked down for further inspection throughout 2018? Well, I think well, yeah, there are some of the more esoteric parts of the market where, where there, um, uh, people uh, are less understanding of if there's parts, uh, periods of volatility. Um, so one of the things we're, we're looking at and we'll continue to look at um, remains that catastrophe bond space. So if there is more events uh, this year, um, then that should increase the premiums that insurance uh, uh, contracts um, receive for taking on uh, that, and, and that's something that we'll continue to look at. The other places, if you look at um, uh, some of the more esoteric credit alternatives, such as loans and, and uh, CLOs, back in 2008 and nine, I mean, they, they got down to five cents on the dollar, um, but those structures actually are quite robust and there isn't uh, a mismatch between the liabilities and the assets there, it's just about time. Um, and you made some very attractive returns investing in some of these uh, spaces um, if you're coming out of 2009. Yeah. Um, so if there is you know, large uh, amounts of volatility, that is an area that we'd be looking for. 
Um, but that's unlikely to come in the short term. It's more likely to be when, when we go through the next recession. Okay, and I so we're going to finish up in a second, but of course, just to give a picture for everyone who's here, we're sat in one of the conference rooms at the, uh, the NMA Annual Conference and Awards, and we're sat in front of the Newton Investment Management Multi-Asset Income Fund, you know, paperwork, we've got all the literature here, and income is a, is a crucial word that we've not really looked at just yet. So Nick, you know, when it comes to the income generation, what, what role do multi-assets play in income generation? It's really a really important role, and it's, it's along the lines of uh, our, our earlier part of the conversation. That if we're looking for income, it's, the portfolio is still going to be, my job is working with you as the client to be saying, okay, we can't get that income from cash anymore. We know that. <coughs> Let's park that. Forget that. We've got to make this work. So multi-asset, and it, and this will this does kind of drive in how much would you know what the size of the capital we're talking about here, and also what the client's stated income need is for now, and is that likely to change, and is that needing to be increasing? All those factors. So why wouldn't you use a multi-asset approach to that? Because if you're doing that, that manager is going to be incorporating in that multi-asset fund. A, a series potentially of other 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 fund providers income funds as well as other instruments that will be producing income um, coming together in a in an, an approach that then spreads again it comes back to the spreading the risk to income and the expected income and then you have to have the conversation well if it if it uh, comes under pressure what can we do about it do we need to then move the uh, move the, the the fund move the target or uh, slightly upgrade, we think the risk profile, or, and this is the interesting conversation, is well, actually, this is the capital you've got available. That's, that's really pushing the envelope of your risk, risk appetite. Now, if we're going to have another conversation, think something's going to change. Yeah. I, I think that's incredibly important because, you know, we see many of our peers in this space have uh, large portions of the multi-asset funds in the high-yield bond market, yeah. and it seems an incredibly risky yeah. place to be. Yeah. Um, and you know, to us, it is uh, very important. We, we always talk about not reaching for yield, yeah. having an attractive and sustainable yield, pence per share, pounds in pockets. Um, and we think very hard uh, and long about how to structure our portfolio to ensure that that will always remain a capability that we can achieve. So, you know, setting that income at a 30% premium to a 60-40 benchmark is sensible because that means it is always achievable uh, and it's always going to be attractive. If bond yields go up, then our target yield will rise and it will be achievable because there will be assets in the marketplace uh, in which to achieve that. But coming back to the, the bond market versus alternative space, if you look at the renewable energy assets in, in, in that space, we think they offer about a 7% per annum return. Um, now, 40 to 50% of the revenue streams um, from some of these companies come from government subsidies, which are fixed and inflation-linked. So, you know, no sensitivity to the economic cycle, um, and you're getting about a 6 to 7% return, which is, you know, six or seven yeah. times you get on government bonds, um, yet 50 to 60% of the cash flows come from the same place. So then, you know, why would you own the government bonds in your marketplace? You're getting six times the return, we're taking le uh, relatively little additional risk, and that's what multi-asset investing yeah. is about. And if you under, if the client is understanding what you're doing as the as the fund manager, and it's this great maxim, isn't it? Don't invest in things you don't understand. Exactly. So renewables, if you explain that to someone, saying this is just going to tick along, 
you know, unless you have yeah. such a controversial government who it just comes has to has to then unravel all that and the tariffs things. I mean, that would be political suicide. It's also incredibly difficult in the UK because of English law. Yeah. So you're on a you're on a you're on a good track here, and so why wouldn't you use that? And as long as you've got that sort of level of understanding, um, then I think people will be comfortable with that <clears throat> and knowing that the advisor and the people that they are recommending and choosing as active managers to deliver this are going to be able to deliver that. And mm. I think that's why, that's how important it is in the space. And of all yeah. the things you said, you said a lot of really relevant stuff. I want to go back to the sustainable income side that you've both mentioned, because again, that really resonates with what I'm hearing at the moment across the UK. And I think that's what clients certainly need and want at the moment. And that kind of sustainable income hunt is what we really need. Otherwise, I think... Like you say, you never want to be reaching for the yield, and I think that's a key thing. Well, I think this is really important, and that's what people really have to understand. Whilst a 6% yield looks great, um, what risk are you taking to achieve that yield? And you have to remember, we're trying to provide, at least with, with our multi-asset income fund, a sustainable and attractive income in the context of attractive total returns. Mm -hmm. You have to remember, you know, you, what you don't want to do is provide an income that depletes the capital base. It is the capital base income generating capability of the future. If you can grow capital, then you can reinvest that capital into higher income generating opportunities in the future and organically grow the income of the portfolio to ensure it keeps up with the levels of inflation because clearly as people come up to and go into retirement, um, they want an income um, that, that keeps up with their disposable income requirements in real terms. Yeah, and I think it also raises, I know we're pushing time now, but it's, the, the word sustainable, of course, it brings these two prongs. One of the things out of the event the last day and a half is not only sustainable, i.e. can it be delivered, but also sustainable as in where is this income coming from? Am I, com am I the client, comfortable with the nature of the underlying investments, uh, tobacco, armaments, the whole, yeah. which is now becoming so much more uh, in, 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 in visible for people that there are more people are saying, well, actually, do you know, I really, I need to be more comfortable with this. So sustainable on both sides. If, if we can achieve that and, and get capital, uh, capital preservation and that sustainable income going forward, happy days. You know, but it's yeah. not easy. <laughs> Absolutely. And this was some of the things our, our conference speaker, Ed Gillespie from Futera, was, was speaking about. And, and again, uh, you know, quite nicely, I'm looking at the literature in front of me and seeing things about the new climate. I'm seeing some information on sustainables as well. Yeah. So that is an area that I think clients and also people within the asset management industry are looking at more closely. So that's an interesting area. But on that, I think that is all we have time for. So Paul, thank you for joining us. Also to Nick McBreen and to Martin Fahey for a good and interesting discussion around multi-assets today. I think we've covered a, a lot of areas. This all, of course, is CPD accredited as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us. Just bye from me. <laughs>